0: Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to to Mark chapter one, if you have them uh, with you. Um, We're starting in a new series as we're kind of jumping off into a new year here. And I always get really excited about jumping into a new series, but always at the same time, I get a little bit bogged down uh, on the first week of a new series uh, because it feels like I'm trying to squeeze in two talks in one. And the reality is I am, okay? I'm trying... Because I know when we're jumping into a new book, we kind of need to lay the, the groundwork or the framework or lay down the rails that our cart's going to roll on uh, for the next few months. Uh, and so I want to be diligent in laying that down. Uh, but I also want to get into the first portion of the text and preach the text because that's what we want, right? We want to be, uh, be students of the text, want to hear from the text, and we want to be moved by what God has us to be moved by. Uh, and so uh, I was talking with Ashley uh, th- just this week, and I said, hey, babe, like, I'm really struggling because uh, we're, we're jumping into this, and I feel like I'm doing two. She's like, well, just do one. I said, well, I do. I will just do one, but it will be two. And she said, it doesn't work like that. Just do one. I said, well, I'll do one. I, but, so here's what I need from you. I need you because we've got, we're got a lot of ground to cover this morning, and I really am trying to squeeze two things into one. Um, I need you, one, to be attentive and ready to listen and to learn, to dive in, and to take notes, but I also need for you to pray uh, for me, um, that I don't take rabbit trails and just run down trails that we don't need to run down, okay? Uh, So I'll be praying for you, you be praying for me, and we'll see what God has for us. Sound good? Okay. I'm going to count on it. Uh, So this week, um, we were sitting around our table, uh, as uh, most of you do when you sit down and you eat dinner. And we were talking about the new year, and we were saying, what do we want to do? Who do we want to be? What are the kind of things that we want to put our hands to uh, throughout the, the rest of this year? So kind of as a family, um, vision casting uh, a little bit. And I just said, hey, how, how do we want to grow this year? And, and specifically in, in three areas. How do you want to grow physically? How do you want to grow relationally? And how do you want to grow spiritually? And there was one thing that kind of uh, just ran around our table. Like we laughed and we joked and um, we joked uh, at each other and with each other. We laughed at each other. If laughing at each other isn't a part of your family, it's okay, right? It's good to laugh, but sometimes it's fun to laugh at each other because we say goofy things. Um, And so we were laughing around our table, but there was one thing that just kind of settled in and where we settled in, uh, like everybody who could talk at our table said, uh, we want to read the Bible more. And I thought, well, man, as a dad and as a pastor, I'm like that's a great thing. That's a great way for us to get our year started. And so uh, we jumped, we started, we said, as a family, we're going to do the reading plan uh, that we put out together. And if you haven't uh, grabbed your reading plan yet, they are out there at the Welcome Center. And so it's nothing magical about them. It's just keeping us faithful in in our reading and digging into God's word. And so we all said, well, well, let's do the reading plan together. And so uh, Anderson said he's going to do the New Testament. And the rest of us said that we're going to do the plan for the New and the Old Testament together. And so this week, um, as we were reading, I landed in Genesis chapter 11. And most of you guys are probably familiar with Genesis chapter 11. um, But just in case you're not, um, there's a part in there about the Tower of Babel. And so Noah has, uh, you know, the flood has happened and uh, they've come off the ark And the uh, Noah's children are starting to have children and their children are having children and so on and so on and so on until before you know it, the whole world's populated uh, again. And so the people who um, are are now filling up uh, the world, they're sitting around one day thinking about, hey, what do we want to be about this year? (laughs) What what, what, what do we want to focus our minds and our attention on for, for this particular year? And somebody jumps up and they say, hey, I've got a great idea. Let's build a huge city with this huge tower that goes into the sky. And everybody's standing around saying, wow, that sounds like a great idea. Like, let, let, let's, do, let's do that. And to put that into modern context for us, this was a, this was a modern marvel at the time. For, the, for us, this would be building the largest skyscraper that the world has ever seen. Nothing else could compare to it. So we're, we're going to be about building the largest skyscraper. And like, yeah, that's great. Use your gifts. Use your ingenuity. Use the creativity that God has given you. But it's what they said next that really uh, stuck out to me and made me ask some questions. They said, hey, let's build a great city with this huge tower that will make us famous. And that's the part that got me. That will make us famous. What they wanted to put their hands to and then the ingenuity that God had given them, what they wanted to do with that was that they wanted to make a name for themselves to have their name up in the marquee, to have their name up in the lights. And it, and it doesn't, honestly, it doesn't go really well for those because at the time everybody had the same language. They were all living in the same spot. And and after this happens, God, he takes all their language and he confuses them all and he sends them out across the globe. Which is crazy. Like, that's one of the things we talked about at our table. We're like, man, what must it have been like to be sitting at the table or to be sitting with your brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and people from all over the place, but yet you all talk the same language? Well, it didn't happen like this anymore. God separated. He, he changed the language of everybody, and he, and he spreads them out. But the words that they said stuck out to me, and it made me ask some questions. What do I, what, what I want to be about this year? What, what do I want us as a church to be about uh, this year. Whose name do I want to make famous? Whose name do we want to make famous? Do we want our name in the marquee and up in the lights, or do we want to make the name of Jesus famous? Um, and I, I thought, you know, as we're going to a new year, uh, what if 2022? It was the year that we weren't worried about um, building a, a big tower or making a name for ourselves or building a, a monument or a business or building our brand or, um, again, trying to make a name for ourselves. What if 2022 was a year that we took our name off of the, the marquee and we decided, you know what, I don't know how this is going to look. I don't know what God's going to do, but I'm just going to kind of tether myself to Jesus and watch him do what he does. Again, I don't know where he's going to take us, but what if I tether myself to Jesus and he be my lifeline and wherever he goes, I go. Wherever he tells me to do, that's what I'm going to do. What if 2022 was the year, not about me, but it was about following Jesus? wonder what would, would change in that, just following where he takes us. And so to the best of my ability as, as your pastor and to the best of our ability as elders and a teaching staff around here, what we want to do is we want to invite our entire body into a Discipleship journey um, with Jesus this year. It's a journey we want to take. We want to tether ourselves to Him and we just want to walk with Him. And so, to that end, that's why we're in Mark chapter one, or that's why we're in Mark at all. That's why we're doing a series in Mark. We want to tether ourselves to Jesus. And I, I believe the, the whole book of Mark is clearly about Jesus. I'm going to say it really loudly. Like the book of Mark is clearly about Jesus, but it's not just about Jesus. It's also about how men and women of all ages from all over the place um, who come from different walks of life, different backgrounds, different ages, different genders, come together and figure out how do we follow this Jesus? It's about him, but how do we come along and be disciples of Jesus? And because all throughout the book, what you're going to see is you're going to see Jesus show up and he's going to be in the wilderness, right? And the wilderness kind of marks this spot where there's a there's kind of death in the wilderness, there's angst in the wilderness, there's darkness in the wilderness, kind of just wandering about us. It kind of pictures Israel, where Israel was at the time. And so you're going to see Jesus show up in the wilderness, but he's not going to stay in the wilderness. There are going to be these strategic moves that, that Mark makes uh, as Jesus walks through from, from, uh, um, from the wilderness all the way to Jerusalem. And we know that when he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to Jerusalem because he's going to encounter the cross. He's going to be despised and rejected. He's going to give his life up for the sins of the world. We, we know that's the trajectory that Jesus is on. So Mark starts us in the wilderness and leads us to Jerusalem. But there are these strategic stops along the way. You're going to hear Mark say, on the way, on the way, on the way. We'll see him stop in Galilee. We'll see him stop along the way in all these different cities. And it's, and it's those moments where we see that it's not just about Jesus, but, it, but it's about those who Jesus is inviting to come and be a part of his life. That he's inviting them to come and be a part of this discipleship journey because as he's along the way, he says, come, follow me. Come, follow me. And what do people do? A lot of people, they come along and they follow Jesus. But people, don't, don't get me wrong, they're making a value choice. Is he worth following? Is he not worth following? And some decide that they're going to count the cost and they're going to follow him all the way uh, to, to the end. And the question For them, and the question that still remains for all of us as we sit and we read Mark is: is, is, it lays out there is, hey, will you follow Jesus? Will you follow him on this journey towards discipleship? Will you be a part of this, this grand journey? Or will your life be about your tower? Will it be about your name and the lights? Will it be about your name and the marquee? And the question was there, and it's for us as we read as well. And so when you're jumping into a new book, what we want to do is we always want to kind of get our minds around what, what God's been doing and what's going on in the area. And that's where the first part of, of the morning is going to take place, okay? And so if you're taking notes, Mark, he's writing this letter to the Christians who are, are living in Rome. These are uh, men and women who they've heard about Jesus. They uh, some of them they have maybe even seen Jesus with their own eyes and they've made a decision. They've certainly believed that Jesus was the Messiah, who he said he was, and they've consciously made a decision that we are going to follow Jesus. Not only are we going to follow Jesus, but the way that he's lived, we're going to live the way that he's lived as well. We're going to follow Jesus. But the decision that they make to follow Jesus, it's not an easy one, right? It's not as easy as, hey, do you want to follow Jesus? Check yes or no. And we want it to be that easy, but it's not always that easy. Because the the, the thought is, like, if I check yes to Jesus, well, my life all of a sudden gets easy. Or if I check yes to Jesus, I go to sleep and I wake up and tomorrow is kind of eternity or I'm sitting in heaven. But that's not what these people were called to. It was really, if you check yes, what you're checking yes to is, do you want to follow Jesus and and ruffle some feathers? Do you want to follow Jesus and have people hate you? Do you want to follow Jesus? And maybe if you're lucky, be able to live a full life without being martyred at the end. Is that what you want? This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's easy to follow someone or something sometimes when there's no opposition. But when opposition lands right in front of you, it's not as easy to make those choices. The value begins to diminish and you begin to find value in something else or an old way of life. And so the call to follow Jesus was certainly exciting but it cost you something. It cost the, the Roman Christians something. And just like it cost them something, again, it's a little bit different for us today, but it still costs something. The call to follow Jesus comes with a cost. And the cost for some, man, you know, some people just gladly will pay the cost. And, and the cost for others is just so steep say, I'm not willing to give up that, I'm not willing to add that, I just don't want to follow Jesus, and so they end up walking away. It's the same then as it is now. Now to put ourselves into context, it's been about 20 to 30 years since Jesus was walking on earth. He's been crucified, he's been buried, he's been resurrected, he's ascended into heaven, and the scene around the Christians at the time, it was not a good one. It was actually, it was really, really rough. Checking yes for, for, for being a Christian and following Jesus, it was really hard at the time. The, the Roman Empire was kind of in uh, a lot of turmoil. There were two major earthquakes that had ripped through Rome, destroying the city or large portions of the city, and the empire was kind of up and down. Um, there was a serious fire that took place and destroyed a large part of the, the inner city of Rome, and the Romans, they blamed it on the Christians. They said it's, it was their fault, and a lot of scholars believe um, that Nero, who was the Roman emperor at the time, that he set the fire and then blamed it on the Christians but however it happened, like the fallout and the backlash was really severe uh, because the, the Christians um, were rounded up in the city and they began to be killed in, in just heinous ways, uh, un- unspeakable ways. And it was a hard time uh, for them. And after, uh, so, some people actually think that, that Paul the apostle and Peter the disciple that we're going to find uh, all about uh, throughout the, the gospel Mark, they think that um, those two key um, proponents of Christianity and writers of texts that we read today think that those two were even burned during the rounding up of the Christians there in Rome. There's a significant fire and it was a significant aftermath of, of that as well. And so then after the fires, Nero, um, he has this mental breakdown and he ends up killing himself. Well, when you have a ruler who's in power who ends up removing himself, now you've got a, not just a vacuum of power, you've got people who are fighting in Arbor and, and, and that are going back and forth for power. Who's going to be the next person to rise and take over? And so then there's, there's a series of battles that begin to take place throughout Jerusalem, back and forth. Who's going to be in power? Who's like, no, not you, not you, not me. And so there's this fighting going on. And in the middle of all the backlash and the fighting, what ends up happening is the Jewish temple ends up being destroyed. And so this is what's going on for Christians who are living in Rome and and to the Christians that Mark is writing this letter to. There is turmoil in the city of Rome, but there's also turmoil in the mind of those who are trying to figure out how to be a Christian during this time. It's not easy uh, for them at all. And you have to imagine that followers of Jesus who are living in the middle of this time that they've got questions and they're just kind of thinking, man, like, is this normal? I mean, what I'm going through, now, like, is this what we can expect as believers of Christ who have signed up our lives to just follow after him? Is this experience normal? And can we, is this what we have to look forward to for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years of our life? And if I've decided to follow Jesus, where am I following him to? Am I following to some utopia or, or am I following him to the death? Like, and how do I know when I get there? If Jesus says to follow Like, how far do I follow? When does that stop? When does does that end? Mark is writing to people who have questions, just like you and me. We're in a different day and age, but we still have questions, right? And and so I want to look here at chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 20 um, just so we can get our minds around uh, what's happening here. This is the good news uh, about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he'll prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, someone's coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater than I am, that, that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River as Jesus came up out of the water, he, set, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. The spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised By God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Or if you have another version, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. And he called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired men. Now I said this book is clearly about Jesus, right? Like there is no doubt this is about Jesus, but it's also about how ordinary men and women... People of all ages, people of all genders, people from all different walks of life, how we become and how they became and how we become followers of Jesus, how we become disciples along the journey with Jesus. And there are three people that Mark dials in on that gives us an expectation of what we can think about and what we can wrap our minds around when we think about discipleship and what it could actually look like. Um, there are three people that I'm sure you're familiar with. You, We read about John the Baptizer, We read about Jesus, and we read about the disciples. And all three of these people are are marked by three different characteristics of what happens with them of what a life of a disciple could look like. They have a call from God, they each have a commission from God, or a task given to them to do by God, and there are consequences for each one of them that come along and follow after God. Just like can be expected for any disciple who's going to follow down the road after these guys. Now, like I said, there's no doubt that this book is clearly about Jesus. When you read verse 1, we see it jump off the page. This is the good news about who? (laughs) I'm not convinced, guys. This is the good news about who? Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. this is about Jesus. Now, we don't get the birth story of Jesus here because Mark's not involved with all the details, uh, the little minute details that Matthew's gonna be involved with and that John's gonna be involved with. Mark wants us to know that there is a God who sent his son, Jesus. And he's not concerned about the birth story. He's assuming that everybody else, the Roman Christians, they've already heard the birth story. They've already known about Jesus. He's focusing in on the beginning of when he starts his ministry here. And the reminder from the start is that, hey, don't forget that this is about Jesus, the good news, the gospel. And if you're down with the Greek and you've been reading that at home, he says, this is about the Galion. This is the good news. And the good news is that the kingdom of God is here and it's in the person of Jesus. He's the one that the world's been waiting on. And so if you've got questions, and if you've got doubts, and there's moments of waiting and angst, and you just don't even know what to do, if you're afraid, he says, Jesus. If you're confused, he says, Jesus. If you've messed up, he says, Jesus. He goes back to the beginning. Jesus, the gospel. This is where it gets started. And so Mark takes the readers back to the beginning of the gospel. Sometimes when you're a little bit off track and things are, aren't going the way that you expected them to, and things are the wheels feel like they're falling off, you got a little bit of mud on the tires. Like, when's this thing going to smooth out? Um, you, 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 it's helpful to go back to the beginning, so it can help you make sense about where you're at right now. Every year, uh, Ashley and I um, we go back and we watch our uh, wedding anniversary. And some of you guys are like, oh, "That's pretty lame." No, it's, it's pretty good because um, uh, it was a great day. It was a great day, and it reminds me of the days I used to have hair, okay? And so like it's just a, it's amazing to go back, but we've brought our kids into the loop now, and so they watch it with us um, every every year. And so here's why we do it. We, we, do it one, we do it for one reason, because like we like just remembering the day. Well, we also do it because it reminds us that no matter how hard our year has been, no matter how much we fought with each other, no matter how bad it feels like things are clunky at the time, we, we do it so it takes us back to the beginning, and it reminds us of where this thing first started. And, and, it, and to be honest, and this isn't just being a preacher man on the stage, it reminds us of the gospel. Because what's the heart of the gospel? The heart of the gospel and the heart of Jesus is that there is a chance for fresh starts and new beginnings. And so when we pull out our wedding video and we watch it every year, it reminds us of the gospel. That this is a new year that we can start and we can get, we can get rolling from, from that place. and helps us to make sense of where we are. So for the Christians in Rome, Mark takes them back to the start and it reminds them, this is about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. And this is what he's called us to. This is what we can expect along the journey of following Jesus. And then you see John the baptizer pop up. And before John was ever even uh, ever born, God had already put a calling on his life. John was born and he was called to prepare the way for Jesus. That was his calling. That means that the, the very goal and, and, and aim of his life was to get people ready to follow Jesus. That was a calling before he ever showed up. This is hundreds of years Isaiah prophesied about this. And then when he comes, when he comes onto the scene, we already know that this has happened. And when, we, when Mark shows him here in the text, we find him going out and doing what God had made him to do. He is living out his calling. How many of you know, man, like, this is exactly what I was born to do. I, I know that from the, from the time that I can remember, this is what I was supposed to be doing. I was born for this. Nobody knows? How do, how do you know you're doing what God's called you to do? It's a big question, right? How do, how, how do you know? You know that you're living in your calling when you can lay down at night. You can lay your head down on the pillow. And no matter what's happened throughout that day, no matter how many... Um, setbacks you've had, no many, how many roadblocks have got in your way, you can lay your head down at night and you can feel satisfied. And you can feel confident that God is, God is being blessed and glorified in the work that you're doing. It doesn't have to be church work, it's just what God has called you to do. You know that you're living in the calling that God has called you into. No matter how many setbacks and problems come your way, you are satisfied at night when you lay your head down on the pillow and you're confident that God is glorified in your work. John is literally born to prepare the way for Jesus. But it doesn't come easy, right? Just because you know your calling doesn't mean that it's always easy to step into your calling. It doesn't mean that it's an easy road that's gonna be marked out for you. It just means you know what it is. And so the commission, so John knows his calling, but the commission that he has, is uh, it's not going to be easy. God said, go prepare the way. Go get the road ready for Jesus to come. And I don't know if when God said, go prepare the way, if John got a little bit confused, had been hanging out in the Jordan River a little bit too long, and he heard, hey, go be creepy, or, or what? Because when we see John, like, you know, I didn't laugh like my kids laughed when I told them that joke, okay? This, I'm just going to let it set, though. But when we find John... He's out in the wilderness, and he's acting like a, a wild man. He's away from society. He wears clothes made of camel hair with a leather belt strapped around his waist to hold that stuff together. He's eating bugs, and he's eating wild honey. The wild honey part doesn't sound that bad, but like camel hair and bugs, dude. I mean, no, you can keep that. And if you watch the Chosen, anybody in here watch the Chosen? If, yeah, if you've never watched The Chosen, let me tell you, do yourself a treat and watch that. It's, it's so good. But in The Chosen, for you guys who have watched it, what do they call John? Creepy John! They call him Creepy John, and they call him Creepy John for a reason, right? Because Creepy John is out in the wilderness. This guy hung out in the woods looking like a wild man with a message that will straight up punch you in the face when you hear it. It was a hard message that he was delivering to people. And so God said, go and prepare the way and get people ready for Jesus and tell them this message. This is the commission that he had. Go tell the people to repent of their sins in verse 4. Turn to God for forgiveness. And then be baptized. John's commission was to go tell people to repent. To repent and to turn away from your sins. I don't know um, if you're living in the same world that I'm living in. But that's not an easy conversation to have with people. To just show up and say, hey, you're a sinner. You need to repent. And you need to get forgiveness with God. And you... it's the right message. It's a message that we need to hear, but it's not an easy message to go out and deliver. I don't know if there's a whole line of people who are raising their hand saying, hey, sign me up for that. That's what I want to go out and do. But this is the message that John had to go out and to deliver. Go tell people that they're sinners and that they need to repent. Sounds great. Sign me up. But just because it doesn't make any sense or just because it seems crazy doesn't mean that it's wrong. We might look at something and, and be like, God, that totally doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't. But to God, it makes total sense. And, and when God calls you to do something that doesn't seem to make any sense, here's what I would say, do it anyway. When God calls you to do something that doesn't make sense, do it anyway, because there's blessing and obedience. Um, a, a few months ago, we took the staff to a leadership conference at, at, in Dallas, the Right Now Media Conference, and there was a, a speaker who got up, and uh, it's just, man, he was amazing. God has been doing uh, great things through his ministry uh, in, uh, in the city that he's uh, doing ministry in. And, but he said something that will always stick out to me. And, and, he, and, and he said that when God calls you to do something, um, uh, obedience can't wait, understanding can wait. But obedience cannot wait. Even if you don't understand it, even if it seems strange, if God calls you to something, there's always going to be blessing and obedience in following him out, even when you don't understand it. So if God calls you to something that just seems crazy and out of the blue and it seems strange, follow him into it because he's got something for you in the middle of it. See, God knew what he was doing with John because people were flocking out to the wilderness to see him, even though he looked like a madman even though he was out there eating bugs and he was living out in the wilderness. You know why I think people were flocking out to see John? certainly wasn't his style. It wasn't the coffee and the donuts that he was offering people when they showed up at his crib. The reason why people were flocking to John is because he was telling them about a person and a life that was so radically different than what they were experiencing right now. That's why people were flocking to John. Because people were living in in, in an area where it was just dead religion, People telling people what to do and no experience of God. They don't want that. They were living in a land where pagan gods were all over the place. They didn't want any of that. They're living in a place where there was really no purpose, no value in life. And they said, we don't want any of that. And they were tired of it. And so they were flocking to John because John, when they heard John say, there was somebody who was coming who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I'm baptizing you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Spirit. And I'm not even worthy to bend down and unlatch this guy's sandals. When they heard John tell them that said, I, I want to hear about this. They responded to that. And even though it didn't make sense to them, they came and they confessed their sins and they turned their hearts towards God and they were baptized. And with their hearts now in the right place, they were ready to follow Jesus when they saw Jesus. When you look on the calling of John's life, you get this sense that discipleship is always going to involve um, some le- level of, of radical living some level of a radical change of life a life that just looks different not because we're walking around with camel hair and eating wild bugs not because of what we wear not because of how we dress or what we eat or where we live or what we drive or how big our bank accounts are we get this call that there's going to be a radical change of of life because god creates a change of heart in his disciples his disciples just end up living differently when you look at the life of a disciple you end up seeing and there is self-denial there. And not only there's self-denial, um, but there's sacrifice. And that's not something you see when, you, when you're just kind of living and building up your own tower and making your own. There's not self-denial and, and denying uh, of self um, and sacrifice that comes along that. But when you look at the life of a disciple who's following Jesus, these things just begin to percolate up. You see it in John's life. You see it in those who are flocking out to the wilderness to see him, who are rejecting an old way of life to follow this new way of life. Repentance, when John is preaching this, what he's talking about is turning away from sin and turning towards God. It was turning away from an old value system where it was about me and turning to a new value system to to the way of the king, to the way of God, to the things that God values. And John, he's preparing the way and the people, they're following him. And so I'd say the first step to discipleship, it's always gotta be repentance. The first step to discipleship is, is repentance and then tethering ourselves to Jesus. I don't think it can come any, any other way. Right? There, there's got to be a shift in what we value. There's got to be a shift in who we follow. There, there's got to be a shift in what we're about as opposed to what we were about. Repentance and heart change, they come together. But it doesn't mean it goes smoothly. It doesn't mean that it's, it's easy. Just because you decide to make a radical change in your life doesn't mean that it's going to be easy for you or it's going to be easy for others or people are going to be like, hey, pat on the back, you're doing a great job. Um, doesn't mean that everybody's always cool with it. There's real consequences that come when you live a radical life for the Lord. There's real consequences that come when you answer the Lord's call. Verse 14 tells us that John, like when we see him later, he's in jail. Well, why is he in jail? We don't read about it here in the text. We'll read about it later in Mark. But he goes to jail because he's living out his call. He's supposed to call people to repent. He's supposed to call people out on their sin. And so he goes to Herod. Herod's the leader of the free world at the time, or the Roman world at the time. And he goes to Herod, and Herod, he, was, um, he had married his brother's wife. That's wrong. That's real wrong. And, and so John goes over to Herod, and he says, hey, you need to repent of your sin." You need to turn away from that and you need to ask God for forgiveness. You need to find forgiveness in God. And the consequence for the obedience that John had in this moment, you know what it was? John lost his life. Well, he goes to jail, but a little bit later he loses his head. That's the consequence for John for being obedient, this living out this radical life. Instead of repenting, here it takes his life. The commission and the task that John was given by God, it wasn't easy. But John, before he ever stood before Herod, he had already counted the cost. And he considered that, hey, Jesus is worthy of following, even if it doesn't make earthly sense, even if it doesn't make me popular, even if it means that there is no protection of my life, that I could lose it. John had counted the cost. So what about Jesus? Jesus has a call and a commission and a, and a consequence too, although his looks a little bit different than John's. When we see Jesus show up um, in the book of Mark, we find him going to John. He gets baptized by John in the Jordan River, and then it gets a little bit wild. The sky splits. You hear a voice from heaven, God the Father, who looks down at God the Son, and he says, man, my, you are my dearly loved son. And you bring me great joy. And after these words fill up the sky and fill out the ground, the Holy Spirit shows up in the New Testament for the very first time. And he shows up on Jesus like a dove. I don't know if you can imagine that scene. I can't get my mind around what that must have been like at all. But I imagine it was a pretty impressive scene. But what's, what's God doing here? Why is Mark telling us this part of, of the story? What he's doing is he's giving us Jesus' call and his commission. This is what Jesus was going to be about. This is God showing up and confirming this. Well, didn't Jesus already know what he was supposed to be like? He came to earth for a particular reason, right? Didn't he know what he was here to do? Didn't he know what he was supposed to be about? Yes, he did. But this was God showing everybody else so that they could see what Jesus was called to do. He's called to go and to preach the good news. To say that the good news is here and he is the good news. Jesus is the good news. He came to preach the gospel, to tell people about himself, to point people to salvation, to proclaim the Lord's forgiveness, to set the captive free, right? He came to be the way towards salvation. And after he made a way for salvation, he brought other people to that salvation. He says, come follow me in this place. And Jesus knew what his calling was, and he fully embraced that. But even Jesus' call wasn't easy. There are consequences that come with Jesus' call, right? As soon as he shows up on the scene and he's baptized. He's led out to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And the word tempt there means to be probed and proved, often through hardship and adversity, and in in order to determine the degree of somebody's loyalty or devotion. Jesus goes through temptation. He goes through rejection. And we know, because we know the end of the story, that he's ultimately going to go to the end of the cross. He's going to to go to the cross. He's going to live a life that we couldn't live. He's going to die a death that we couldn't die so that he might give salvation to all those who would follow him, to those who would give their lives to him. And so we learn about this. And what we learn is something that maybe we didn't expect uh, when you answer the call to follow Jesus. While Jesus is out in the wilderness and he's facing temptation, what happens is the Holy Spirit shows up. And that signals something to the Roman Christians. And it signals something to us as we read it even, even now. First of all, people it signals that people who follow Jesus aren't promised a pain-free life. Let, let, me, let me say that again. Those who follow Jesus aren't promised a pain-free life. I just talked to a, a guy um, after the first service. Um, he, he talked to me about how he just walked through cancer this past year. Followed the Lord, been faithful to the Lord. Sometimes he wondered if he was faithful enough. And... Uh, And and he said, but the Lord met me in that place more than I could have ever experienced or ever thought that I could experience. I would have thought that I would have just gone off the rails but he said, it's actually in that place that I, that I met the Lord. And, and, and I realized that he wasn't going to keep me away um, from suffering. It was really fun as I saw him and another cancer survivor that were out talking with each other. And they were sharing their experience of how God showed up in the middle of their pain. And not in the middle of, of their, their rejoicing moments, but he showed up in the middle of, of their pain. And it was just really cool uh, to watch. And so he's not going to keep us from uh, pain in our life. And we, when we experience temptation... We, we can expect that God is gonna, uh, that, uh, that Satan is going to come in. He's going to show us trouble. The enemy is going to come our way. If Satan goes after Jesus, he's going to go after his disciples. But when there's temptation, here's what Jesus also shows us, is that when there's temptation, we can count on the Holy Spirit to be there for help as well. The Holy Spirit shows up in the middle of that. Followers of Jesus, those who walk with him, you will never <coughs> suffer alone. You may suffer Let me say that again. There will be moments where you will suffer, but you will never suffer alone because the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, he meets us in those places, and Jesus signals that. Followers of Jesus will never suffer alone. Paul tells us that when we're tempted, God is always going to be faithful, and he's going to give us a way out from under that temptation. If you're here, and you're a follower, and you've had trouble in your life, would you just raise your hand? Look around you. Look around. Some of you just like popped them up real quick because you don't like to admit that God, like, lets us go through trouble. If some of you, if you're a believer in here and you've faced temptation in your life, go ahead and raise your hand. If you fall into temptation, raise your hand. Yeah. In the victory and in the defeat, the Holy Spirit is there. We never suffer alone. And we're never in a moment where he's not with us in the trial or the temptation or the pain. He meets us in in all of that. The cost of following Jesus, it's not easy, but we never go through it alone. We have divine help through the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew the cost, and yet he lived and moved towards that calling all the way to the end. He counted the cost and believed that it was worth it. The message that Mark is laying out for us as we're jumping in here is that God is, gives us a calling. There's a cost that comes along with following him, but the end result is that the spirit is going to be in the middle of it with us, and we're never going to go through it alone, and it's going to be worth it. Whether you feel it today, five years from now, or 25 years from now, or in eternity, it's going to be worth it. And so the call to follow Jesus is certainly exciting, but it comes with a cost. And so lastly, real quick, is the disciples. Jesus is he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he's, um, he's about his ministry now, and he sees Simon and Andrew, a couple of brothers who are out fishing on the sea, and then he goes down uh, the, the seashore a little bit further, and he sees uh, James and John, another group of brothers who are out fishing. And these guys, they're out there. They're doing their jobs, right? They're they're doing they're, they're providing for their families. And they, so they would wake up early in the morning and they would go out and mend their nets. They would look at their nets. If there was anything broken, they would fix it, hard work, get out on the boat and go out on the water and look for a place to drop their net so they can provide for their families. And sometimes they would strike gold and sometimes they would miss. If you're a fisherman in here, you know that there are good spots and there are bad spots. Most of the time you find your good spot. But there are days when you come home goose egged and you don't have anything. But these guys who are out there fishing, and they are out there, they're doing like, it is good, honest, hard work so that they can feed their families. And what Mark's doing is by showing us these fishermen, he's showing us that these are ordinary people like you and me. These are are men, and we can throw ourselves in, these are men or women for us, you know, gals um, who are out there, who are um, going to work, and they're working hard. And they're sweating. They're working by the sweat of their brow. And they come home at night, and they lay down, and they wake up, and they go out and do it again in the morning. What Mark is saying is that these are men and women who are just like you and me. There is nothing remarkably out out of the ordinary with them. They are normal. And while they're out there doing their jobs, Jesus calls them. And the call was, come follow me. Come and be my disciple. Hit your wagon to me. Tether yourself to me. Watch me live, and I'll make you fishers of men. You're fishing right now for a living. I will teach you how to fish for people. I will teach you how to be a fisher of men. You will learn how to love people, to care for people, to pray for people, to live a life that is actually worth living at the end of the day when you put your head down on your pillows. I will teach you about the kingdom of God and how this works and how you live in that and how we grow this kingdom. Do you hear the call on on his life? He says, come follow Jesus. And the commission is, You're going to have your heart radically changed. My heart is going to be your heart. My focus is going to be your focus. And I will show you how to live the life of a disciple. And to be fair, I don't think these guys understood what they were getting into. When you read it, do you get a sense that they understood what they were doing? Jesus brings them along. And as they follow, they learn more. And as they follow, they learn more. And as they follow, they learn more. But when Jesus had come and followed, they recognized that this is the the Messiah. This is the one. How that was going to work out, they had no idea. They knew, but the first step was to follow. Obedience can't wait. Understanding can wait, but obedience cannot. And so they stepped out and they followed him. And it wasn't easy. It meant they had to leave behind some things. And they had to pick up a new way of life. You know what it cost them? You know what the consequence was for the disciples? They left their nets, they left their boats, they left their father. They left their occupation. They they left their paychecks. They left their security. They left their, their comfort. They left their jobs for the unknown. But what they had done was they had counted the cost and they concluded that if this were in fact the Messiah, if this is who he was, then nothing else mattered up to this point. They counted the cost and they realized that the cost of their life, this new way of living, my tower down, my name off of, of the marquee, this is worth it. This, this is worth it. I'm going to follow Jesus on this radically new journey to, to life. A lot of people still live by the mantra, man, if it doesn't make dollars, then it doesn't make any sense. If, I can't, if there's no money attached to it, then I'm not going to put my name to it. I'm not going to do it. But every person who would come and follow Jesus and follow the call, of God that he puts on their life who's commissioned to go out. Every person has a call, every person has a commission, and every person has a consequence that comes along with it. But the cost will always be worth it. And so what if 2022 wasn't about our own towers and about our marquee and about our names in the light? What if 2022 was just simply us counting the cost and saying, you know what? Jesus is the savior. He's called me to follow He's commissioned me to a new and a radical life of discipleship, and nothing else is going to really matter. And so I'm going to take my tether, I'm going to take my lifeline, I'm going to attach it to him, and wherever he goes, that's where I'm going. And so what I want to do is I want to invite you in to this journey of discipleship. I want to invite you in for this year just to count the cost. Whatever that cost may be, there may be something that you're holding on to right now saying, man, I can't lay that down. I won't lay that down. There are things as a disciple of Christ we add to our life. There are things that we take away out of our life or we allow God to add and take away out of our life, things that add convenience, things that add inconvenience. But what if there's something that you're not willing to lay down and let go of, I want you to, just, to spend time talking with God about that this week. And as we go throughout this journey in the book of Mark, um, we, right now we're partnered with some uh, uh, pastors in uh, the Dominican Republic with Tierra Primatita. And we are getting ready to plant churches in a place called Rio de Riva uh, over there. And right now, our pastors, there they're going out into, we'll call it the wilderness. They're going out into villages where they don't know where people are. They don't know where their hearts are. They don't know if they've heard about Jesus. There's definitely witchcraft in those areas. There's, there's definitely pagan uh, religion going on. Um, there's definitely danger where they're going. But they have said, you know what? I am going to count the cost, and I'm going to move in that direction and i don't know if we take a cue from our pastors there if we take a cue from from god's word here or maybe we take a little bit of cue from from everything that we're experiencing in god's word but the deal is that we count the cost and we live a life of discipleship that the lord has called us to and so i want to invite you into that as we study mark but also just spend time with your families and your friends to count the cost would you pray with me jesus thank you for all of this time uh that we got to spend together um We know that when we open up the word and we hear from you and your words are spoken, your Holy Spirit just does his thing. And uh, I want to pray that you would impress on uh, my friends this morning and uh, whatever it is that you want for them. Father, you have called us, you've commissioned us, and uh, you want to send us out. And it's got consequences that come with it, both positive and negative, for sure. Uh, But Father, we just want to be faithful to it. And so we need your spirit to be with us in the temptation. We need your spirit to guide us. Uh, we need your spirit to give spirit to give us a heart of willingness. Um, but we want to trust you uh, with it. And so uh, would you make us your disciples? Only you can do that. Our willpower won't, but you can. Uh, so make us your disciples. Let us follow you on this journey this year, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.